Let's generate our motivation. So it takes a lot of time and persistent effort to overcome our self-centered thought. And one of the difficulties is that our mind always go back always goes back to the idea that the self-centered thought is looking out for my benefit and it will make me happy and protect me when it's actually in fact the opposite the self-centered thought interferes with our life and our happiness so we have to go over and over and over again in our meditation the disadvantages, the faults of the self-centered thought. Because if we don't do that, then when we hear cherish others more than self, we say, no way. Or when we hear somebody needs something and we have to it's a little inconvenient for us, or we don't feel like doing it, our mind says, no way. So that's why this meditation on the disadvantages of the self-centeredness is so important. And while why seeing the benefits of cherishing others is so important. Because when we really are very sure about those benefits, then it becomes easy, or at least easier, for our mind to go in the direction of being in benefit, being of benefit. Because instead of seeing benefiting others as a chore or our uh, entailing our giving up what pleases us, uh, benefiting others, our mind sees it as a joy, an opportunity, as something to look forward to. So you can see it's a complete change in how our mind usually thinks But the more we familiarize our mind with this way of thinking, then the easier it becomes. And then we experience the joy of cherishing others. And we release the burden of the self-centeredness. So based on that kind of way of looking at life, then we can really develop great compassion for living beings and the great resolve to get involved in actually bringing them happiness and its causes and eliminating their dukkha and its causes. And then that, in turn, will enable us to generate bodhicitta.
And so with that kind of motivation, let us share with Shantideva his uh, advice to us. So when you take the bodhisattva uh, vow, uh, some of our usual options uh, on choices and what we do and things like that uh, get cut off. Uh, So you know how you come to the monastery and then uh, our thing is, but it's not fair, you know. I have to wash the dishes more than others. It's not fair, you know. Well, when you get to taking the bodhisattva vow, then the whole idea of what's fair and what isn't fair, uh, your old idea, you better toss it out the window, okay? Because uh, it's not fair in our old way. Yeah? Other living beings can insult us, They can get angry at us and criticize us. They can blame us for things we didn't do. They can even beat us. But according to the four ascetic practices, we can't criticize them in return or insult them in return or get angry in return or beat them in return. Our practice is to remain equanimous during all those things. So you see, they can do, sentient, ordinary sentient beings, yeah? They can do whatever they want because we cannot set rules for them. But when we voluntarily take the bodhisattva vow, we are changing the rules of the situation. Are you getting what I'm saying? Yeah? So when somebody comes and and blames you for something you didn't do, uh, it, you can no longer say, oh, what do you think you were doing? You know, glad people in glass houses and throw stones and, you know, I didn't do that. Mind your own business. Yeah, It's not fair. You can't say that anymore. And you're sitting there, and somebody just blamed you, and you're mad, and you're boiling, and you want to tell them to shut up. And you can't do it. Yeah? I mean, you can. But then there's going to be certain repercussions if you do. And the repercussions are karmic, Nobody's punishing us. We just experience the result of our own actions. But as mad as we are, we can't tell them off. And then you realize you can't even get mad. You know, you shouldn't even get mad in the first place. Well, that's more difficult. Let's just start on not beating them up. Okay. You know, keeping and keeping my mouth closed. Start with that. Then you got to work at, you know, well, Bodhisattva vow said, 
Don't get mad at them to start with. Practice fortitude. They're ordinary sentient beings. What in the world do you expect from them? You know? And why are you expecting the same from yourself when you've just taken the vow to lead all of them to full awakening, come what may? And your mind goes, I took that vow? Really? I don't remember. I don't remember. There was some nice ceremony and I said some words. It was even in English. But really? I promised that? Was I absolutely nuts and out of my mind? Well, that's up to you to see if you were nuts and out of your mind. But, yeah, if you decide that you are crazy for thinking that and you give the whole ship up, then what happens? What are the, the results of doing that? Yeah. Did you really not know what you were getting into? Or are you just deciding at this moment that you didn't really know? <laughs> yeah. Getting what I mean? Oh, I really must have been crazy. But then, you know, because the rules for others and the rules for us are not the same, if you have, if you are the kind of person who cherishes your own word and values your own word that when you say you're going to do something, you do it, even though it might be hard, then you have to sit down with yourself and you know, deal with the anger and, you know, deal with this explosive mind that says, nobody can talk to me like that. That's my rule of, you know, nobody can talk to me like that. Yeah, when did that pass with a vote? Yeah, did all sentient beings vote on that law? that nobody can talk to me like that? Yeah, did they vote? Oh, maybe they did. Then it was seven billion who said, yes, I can talk to you like that. And one who said, no. And that one who said no was me. And the other seven billion were other beings. Well, I just got defeated. Yeah, by popular vote. Yeah, all the ordinary beings said, sure, when she's acting like a dimwit, I can tell her so. And even when she's not acting like a dimwit, I can blame her for acting like like one. Why not? It's my right. I have free speech. (laughs) So sentient beings think like that. But, you know, what does our word mean when we promised in the, in the front of the Buddhas and in the, in before all the, all the sentient beings to try and tame our anger? Doesn't that count for something? 
Okay? So it's quite interesting. You know, you learn this the hard way. You really learn it the hard way. Um, And I've had many situations where I've learned this the hard way. Yeah? And... uh, and they've been actually very valuable because I realize now the rules are different. Yeah, I have rules that are more restrictive. But having more restricted rules frees your mind from doing all sorts of things that are going to bring you problems later. Okay. We see having rules as, oh, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and it's not fair. I want to go here. What's wrong with it? Why are you trying to control me? But when you're a Dharma practitioner, and you have these things, and you say, oh, that's good, because I I have some understanding of karma, and if I follow these rules, yeah, I'm going to be happier in the long term and I'm not going to be I'm not going to create messes for other people and I'm not going to mess up my own life and I'm going to be able to progress on the path yeah and so then you say oh I actually was in my right mind when I took the bodhisattva vow yeah I was in my right mind it's a good thing that I did that Do you ever have these kind of conversations in your own mind? Yeah. Recently, uh, somebody was interviewing me about the the um, prison project, you know, and the work I, I do in prisons, and that many people here do in prisons. And uh, and she said, "Well, how did you get started doing this?" And so I told her the story back in I think it was nineteen. 97, I got a letter from an inmate in a prison in Ohio, and he asked for some Buddhist books and had some questions that he wanted to write. And, you know, and I received this letter, and there was no choice in my mind. I couldn't, there was, I could not think do I want to respond to somebody who's incarcerated or not? There's no choice. Somebody asks for help learning the Dharma, you say yes. There's no choice. Yeah? As it turned out, it was very strange because I asked him how he got my contact, and he said he wrote to 25 Buddhist organizations. I was the only person who responded, but Dharma Friendship Foundation, the the organization that I was with at that time, was not on his list of 25 that he wrote to. So how he got my contact is still a, a puzzle, but that's what started this whole prison project that we are doing now where we have over a thousand people that we are benefiting. Yeah. But it was that thing of, no, I can't say no. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. 
And when I was invited to go uh, in into the prison, because I was uh, one summer I was going to Cleveland to teach at a Dharma Center, and his prison was in Ohio. Yeah, so I went out. He asked, you know, if I could come to to see him. So I went out, and again, there was no, uh, you know, if it was possible to arrange, then I go. There, there was no thinking about it. Okay, and people say to me, "Well, aren't you afraid to go in prisons?" No, I'm not. Yeah. They are so happy to have a volunteer there. Nobody's going to hurt me. People are going, what? What? You know? So it's interesting, you know, when you really, okay, the rules are not fair. I don't have a choice to say yes or no. Of course, if I can't go, you know, because I don't have transportation or I'm sick or there's something else important I have to do, that's another issue. Yeah, then, you know, you have to excuse yourself. But otherwise, you you say yes. And then it was very interesting. Um, This is, again, in Ohio, another inmate that I met who I, uh, I had gone into the prison and given talks, and then he had written to me, and we started corresponding. And then when he got, got out, you know, um, I was giving a teaching again at that same Dharma Center one summer, and he said, come stay at my family's house. And he had uh, done a crime, one of the crimes I was most terrified of, but um I said yes, you know, and I went and, you know, stayed the weekend there. And at first I was, I remember lying in bed thinking, oh, I'm just across the hallway from somebody who did something that really terrifies me. But I trust him. Yeah, that was fine. It's fine. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the bodhisattva vow really works on your mind. And it, it, uh, helps us to control, uh, our projections on other people of how harmful they are and how mean they are to me, you know, and, and helps us slow down and really you know, do something with our anger, with our suspicion, with our, um, yeah, with our self-centered mind. Okay? So, the Bodhisattva vow is, it protects us. Yeah. It protects us. And so that's why we take any kind of vow or precept is because we've thought about things clearly and decide, you know, really thought what is beneficial to do and what is not beneficial to do. And then when we decide certain things are not beneficial, then taking a precept not to do it is completely in accord with our own wish. Yeah, and helps us 
uh, stay on track doing what we want to do and not doing what we don't want to do. Yeah. Okay, so this is Shantideva is hitting us with a lot of this stuff, this chapter, isn't he? You know, asking us to um, think that when other people get mad at us, maybe our behavior is sending them to the lower realms by triggering their anger, while their behavior is helping us uh, purify negative karma. So aren't they benefiting us by harming us? And aren't we harming them when we trigger their, their uh, whatever we're triggering in them? Yeah. So this is not to blame us for other people's emotions. We're, we're not responsible for other people's feelings, but we're a cooperative condition for that happening. And so, I mean, did you ever think like that before? Yeah, did you ever consider that before? I never did. Yeah. Yeah, like I told you, when, when I was in Italy, when I wrote to Lama, I said, these people are sending me to the lower realms because they harm me and make me so mad. You know, what a stupid thing to say. <laughs> now, I think, but at that time, you know, it's all their fault if I go to the lower realms because they did this and this and this and this. And I can't tell you how much of what they did to me. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a different way of thinking. And sometimes it takes the mind getting some use to it. Okay, so verse 62. Here's that mind that doesn't want to get used to it. It says... Surely I should be angry with those who say unpleasant things that weaken other beings' confidence in me. Yeah? So I want people to think well of me. I'm working for their benefit after all. And if other people ruin my reputation, then I can't help these people. Now, do you think that person really wants to help others? If they're thinking like I just spoke, no, they're looking for status. Okay. If you say, you know, like I, I do need to have a good reputation so that others will trust me, yeah, and some something's going around that isn't true, I need to step into the situation and clarify it. That's a very different thing than uh, making up the excuse that we're really working for other people's benefit and therefore we have to have a good reputation. Do you you see the difference between... You can say the same words to yourself. And one way, it's garbage. And the other way, it's true. Yeah, so you have to see... Because it's so easy for us to justify and rationalize and twist things. Yeah. I mean, we just 
saw this in a legal case last week. Yeah. So, um, yeah, surely I should be angry with those who say unpleasant things and weaken other beings' confidence in me. Yeah. Then Shantideva says, in the same way, why aren't you angry with people who say unpleasant things about others? In other words, if you get upset because other people ruin your reputation uh, by making others lose con- their confidence in you, why don't you get upset when they ruin somebody else's reputation and lose people, uh, make people lose confidence in them? It's the same behavior. Why do I get mad? when it's done towards me, but I don't get mad when it's done towards a stranger. And when it's done towards somebody I don't like, I'm sitting in the back, I go, bravo, go ahead, ruin that idiot's reputation. I don't like him. Yeah. Do you ever rejoice at other people's pain? Yeah. We have to be honest. Do we ever wish that somebody has some suffering? This is hard to admit. <clears throat> this is very hard to admit. But if we can't admit it, then we can't do anything about it. But sometimes that thought creeps in, doesn't it? Huh? But the question is, why aren't I on? angry with people who say unpleasant things about others. And why do I really hope they'll say unpleasant things about the people I'm jealous of and the people I'm competing with? So that's a good question, isn't it? To sit with, to ask ourselves, and then sit with that. Yeah? Why, if somebody comes in and criticizes Venerable Semke, am I totally, you know, I just, you know, calm down, nothing, no problem. But they criticize me. And, boy, they can't do that. we got to stop this. Yeah, that's not fair. So our mind that says, that's not fair, this is where we call it up in these situations. When we privilege ourselves over other beings, that's when we say, it's not fair that I treat others as being of less value than I treat myself. And then the mind goes, but, 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 but. Please, can't, can't, I just need somebody telling me I love you. Yeah? Do you ever have that mind? Yeah? Yeah, I know. I was bad, but I... But then you don't show that. Yeah? If any of you watched when they did the sentencing yesterday for the Arbery trial when they said uh, that these three guys were guilty of killing Ahmed Arbery. This was the case where a black man was jogging through 
a neighborhood in Georgia. We have some Georgians here. Yeah, ex-Georgian. Georgian. Well, no, you're ex. You're going to become ex, okay? Yeah. <laughs> We're expecting you to be here mm, by next year, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Then... When, you know, they, you know, the judge was reading the guilty verdicts and, you know, I mean, these guys like that. Nothing, you know, they gotta, they gotta be rough, tough, not show any emotion. Yeah. Although the last guy looked, he looked worried. Huh? The young one, the, yeah. He was the first one. No, he didn't look worried to me. He looked like, like that. Yeah. No, but inside, inside, what's going on? I mean, what people show on the outside and what's going on on the inside, two different things. So how I read him was he's just sitting there, stoic. Yeah. But you know inside somebody's going, but, 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 I didn't mean to hurt anybody, although I did, and I don't want to go to prison the rest of my life. Yeah. It's quite amazing. Yeah, we've had a real week with results from trials, you know. First the house one, then the one with the um, Charlottesville. Uh, what happened in Charlottesville? Remember the right, uh, the right, what is it? Unite the Right uh, rally that they had a couple of years ago when, uh, I mean, there was fighting and then this guy drove his car into a bunch of protesters and killed one woman. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and then this one, the Arbery case. In the one with the Unite the Right, I'm just giving you current events class going off the topic. But um, uh, they gave, at the, plain, the Plaintons got uh, 25 or $26 million in compensation. Yeah. And so some of the guys who organized the trial... The, the unite the right thing and some of the organizations they have to pay up. So let's hope that it breaks them. I hope so. That's how, uh, because just 45 minutes away is the former Aryan Nation, uh, headquarters. And that's how that group collapsed was because of a of fine from a civil case. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, the point was we may present one face, but what's going on is the self-centered mind is, you know, saying, but I just want to be happy and not suffer. And that's true. And, you know, of course people feel that. Yeah. And we shouldn't wish them harm. Like, well, you did that anyway, so now you got yours. You know. 
not wish them harm, but holding people accountable is different than wishing them harm. When we hold, hold people accountable, then hopefully they will learn something that will benefit them. And that is different than wishing people harm. Because when we wish them harm and punishment, punish them, they often don't learn because they're reacting too much to the punishment and the hostility that we're showing. Okay. Verse, that was verse 62. <laughs> yeah, verse 63. If I can patiently accept this lack of confidence because it is related to someone else, then why am I not patient with unpleasant words about myself? since they are related to the arising of disturbing conceptions. Okay, so I have disturbing conceptions and afflictions and, you know, either in this life or previous lives, they motivated my own bad behavior. Yeah, so, you know, if I, if I patiently accept the you know, the ruin of other people's reputation, yeah, because it's a result of their karma, then I should patiently accept the ruin of my own reputation because its root is in my own bad behavior. Okay. So, I mean, these questions, How, when you ask yourself a question like that, how are you going to get out of it? You're having this inner dialogue with yourself, you know, and you say to yourself, you know, one part says, I should be angry with those people who say unpleasant things and make other people think bad of me. And then you say to yourself, well, why am I uh, not angry at when people say bad things about other people? If I want to be fair, why am I only saying that I have a right to be angry, but other people don't. And why don't I get angry when other people are criticized? And you say that question to yourself, and then you have to sit and think. What are you going to come up with a good reason to answer that? I don't know about you, but I can't think. I can think of many reasons, but none of them are good. <laughs> yeah, in the same way... Yeah, if I can patiently accept the lack of confidence because it's related to somebody else, then why aren't I patient, you know, when other people say negative things about me? Yeah, if we want equality, then I should be patient with both situations. So self-centered mind does not like this at all. But that's good. Okay? When we make self-centered mind unhappy, then we're on the right track. Okay, so here's another technique. I'm not sure if it's in here. But this is one from Lama Zopa that I learned very early on that is quite powerful if you when if when you can do it and that is when 
something painful, some situation is happening or some words are happening that are painful to you, okay, see the self-centered mind as some figure out there. You can dress him up however you want to, you know, uh, as an, as a knight with holes in his armor or as a little child or whatever you want to visualize your self-centered thought as. And then when this harmful stuff is happening to you, you think this is happening because of my own negative actions that were created under the influence of my own self-centered thought. Okay, because self-centered thought is almost always involved when we do something negative. And then that's coming back at me. So self-centered thought is the real one who is responsible for this bad, unpleasant energy coming towards me. So I'm going to give all the unpleasantness to the self-centered thought. So all the criticism that's coming towards me, it's getting diverted, okay? And it goes to the self-centered thought out there. So here's a bunch of people criticizing you up, down, and across. And it all goes to the self-centered thought. And then you look at the self-centered thought, and it's quite miserable. And then you say, you deserve it. Yeah, you want you want to rejoice in somebody's suffering? You rejoice when the self-centered thought suffers. You say, you deserve it, because you were the root of it all. And then you're happy. Yeah, you're happy. Are you seeing the, the technique here? The self-centered thought is not who we are. It is, we are not union oneness with the self-centered thought. So you put it out there. It's something else. Yeah. But it's the thing that has created the cause for the criticism, the unpleasantness, people cheating us, people beating us up, people ripping our stuff off. They're the one who have created the cause for us to, you know, when we, experience these situations. So instead of thinking that all that harmful, unpleasant situation is coming to me, I give it, I, I, what is it when you forward a, a call? You know, you forward the call and you give it right to the, to the self-centered thought. It's like, oh, you're saying harsh words. Hold on a minute. I'll transfer you to the one who deserves it. Bing! Forward to self-centered thought. And then it goes right there. Okay? Yeah. And then the self-centered thought has to deal with it. And you go, "Mm, well, yeah, you get yours now, buddy. You know, you created the cause. So it's okay if you experience the result. And if you don't like this result, then watch what you're doing in the future. Okay? So this, this, you know, so it, it really, to do this well, you really have to understand that the self-centered thought is not who we are. And it's not an inherent part of us. It's something else. And you put it outside and you deliver all the pain to it. So, 
this, you know, I remember Lama Sopa teaching this. I was a baby Buddhist at the time. And I said, mm, that's interesting. And I wrote it down, and I kind of remembered it. Uh, but I didn't practice it when I was in Italy. Uh, and I didn't practice it after that either. And then uh, in 19, was it 86 or 87, uh, we went to Tibet. Okay. So in Tibet, uh, I was, uh, it was an incredible situation. I, I bumped into the attendant of my, one of my root teachers, um, in Lhasa. And then we, he, he took me out to, uh, the, the relative, my, my teacher who had passed away, his family, we went out to his family's house. Okay. And, uh, and stayed there. And then we were going to go to Lamo Lazzo, which is the lake, uh, where when they want to find the incarnation of the Dalai Lama, you know, they go to this lake. It's down in a valley and you hike up to the top there. And then you, you know, they would do pujas and so on and then look in the lake and they could see, uh, either letters or images uh, things that are hints about where they can find the the Dalai Lama, the next Dalai Lama. Okay, so we wanted to go to that lake. So there was a couple a couple of other Westerners. There was one one nun, and uh, and then there was one monk who I had known for many many years, and um, sometimes you know. We got along, and sometimes, you know, I had to keep a little bit of a distance. And anyway, so we're all in this party, this little group, and we're riding horses. Because, you know, we were out in the rural area of Tibet, and to get to this lake, you had to go on horseback. Okay, so we're riding on horses. So... um uh, you know, this and this was a Western monk, and he was riding a horse. His horse was a little bit stubborn, because sometimes we had to cross uh, streams, and his horse would stop in the middle of a stream. <laughs> yeah, my horse, you know, kind of went across, and his horse would stop, and he get easily got. Uh, agitated, you know. So as we're, the, we're going on this trip, he's getting more and more agitated because of, because of his horse. So at one point, um, we were crossing one thing and it happened again and I was close to him and I said to him, um, you know, if you'd like, we can change horses because my horse is, is pretty cooperative. Well, he totally blew up at me. Yeah completely blew up with me. And we had worked together at Dharma centers before. I mean, here I am, I was offering something. Yeah? And and we, we had worked at Dharma centers before. 
And he blew up at me and he pulls out all this stuff from the past. When we did this and you did blah, 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 and so and so told me that you did this and you were so uncooperative and so and so said this about you. And he like gave it to me. Okay. And I'm like, what did I do to deserve this? You know, I just offered you my horse, <laughs> which wasn't even my horse, you know, somebody else's horse. Uh, you know, like, I was shocked. And at that time, very fortunately, and I think this is the blessings of going on pilgrimage to this lake, is I remembered this teaching from Lama Zopa. And so I sat there on my horse while he was shouting at me, and I just thought, okay, self-centered thought, you're, you're over there. It's all going to you. It's going to you. It's going to you. It's going to you. And I just gave it all to the self-centered thought. You know, usually, yeah, when people criticize me, I am not a happy camper. Okay. But here I just gave it to the self-centered thought. When we arrived at our campsite that evening, my mind was so peaceful. I was shocked. You know, it was like all this had happened and it was, my mind was peaceful. The self-centered thought had it all. So it, I was really quite surprised at how well this worked, you know. But I wasn't doing it as a technique. You know, if you do something as a technique, it doesn't always work so well. But if you do it like, okay, really, you know, that, then, yeah, something happens. So, yeah, so remember this. You may need it sometime. <laughs> I hope you don't. But since we are samsaric beings, maybe, yeah. Yeah, so I try to remember this this from time to time. I don't always remember it, but it it's really quite powerful. Because then you say, okay, you got it. <laughs> you know? And then you think, yeah, I can really, this, I'm actually harming the real enemy now. Mm-hmm. Okay. 64. Should others talk badly of or even destroy holy images, reliquaries, reliquaries, well, stupas, (laughs) and the sacred dharma, (laughs) yeah, it is improper for me to resent it, for the Buddhist can never be injured. So, uh, you know, we may face situations where... uh, People destroy the Dharma, you know, like what happened, I was just talking last time, what happened in Tibet um, and in China, and they destroyed the texts and the images and the stupas and the statues, um, or physically destroy these things, or maybe they criticize Buddhism, or somebody criticizes your teacher, you know, or they, they criticize the Buddha, you know, they say, oh, Buddhism, uh, those people just want to evade society. They're looking at their own belly button and why don't they do something useful? 
are, you know, I mean, there's so many different kinds of criticism people can give. And, and then you want to defend and you, cause you're getting angry. Like, wait, this is my religion. You can't talk about my religion that way. Okay. And people get mad, don't they? When you criticize their religion. Imagine if instead of religion, this said political party. Ooh, you know? Somebody criticizes your political party? What happens in this country now? (laughs) You know? You don't just, people don't just say, well, we have different opinions. Yeah, I want to understand yours and, you know, let's have a reasonable discussion. No, you say something and, you know, yeah, they're giving it to you right in the face. So, what is Shantideva saying? It is improper for me to resent it, for the Buddhas can never be injured. Yeah? Or if somebody's criticizing your values, yeah, because that's often when they criticize our uh, our political party. They may be criticized. Maybe they're not criticizing the party, but they may uh, criticize our values. Yeah. Then just to to remember, Sanjeev is saying, don't resent it, um, because if you have good values, your good values can never be injured. If somebody criticized the Buddha Dharma Sangha, they can never be injured. Even people destroy the physical manifestations of the objects of our faith. That doesn't harm the three jewels. Okay? So it's improper for me to resent it, for the Buddhas can never be injured. But this is showing how sensitive we are when there's anything that is associated with me, how sensitive we become to it being criticized. Yeah. Be it our religion, our political party, our family. I mean, the Hatfields, the Hatfields and McCoys, you know, I mean, these people killed each other out of honor. Not because anybody even got physically hurt or was deprived of, of food, but just out of honor. Yeah. And people often, they treasure their honor. They will defend their honor more than they will defend even physical assault. Yeah. And yet, can your honor ever really be tarnished? no matter what people say about you. People can lie about you. People can criticize you. They can tell you you're full of mm. And you say yes. And then you show them the, the, the photo from your colonoscopy. <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. Here, look at this. It works really well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they never say that to you again. (laughs) Are you saying, no, I'm not, you know, because it all got vacated before my colonoscopy. You want to (laughs) see? Yeah. 
Have you had a colonoscopy? They are so much fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, your real values can't get harmed. Yeah. And your faith in, in, you know, whatever is the object of your faith, that can't really get harmed. Why do we get upset? Yeah. It's so interesting to see how we sometimes take other people's comments about us to heart, and it, it makes us lose our confidence. Yeah. When we even know intellectually that what this person is saying is not correct. Or even if it is correct, we admit it, we know we have that fault, and we, we know we're working on it. But it's amazing still how much we will be offended and resentful and then go into defensive mode. Okay, but Shantideva here is saying no reason to do that because... You know, if we really believe in something with our heart, it, other people's words are not going to destroy it and harm it. 65. I should present, prevent anger arising towards those who injure my spiritual masters, relatives, and friends. Instead, I should see, as in the manner shown before, that such things arise from conditions. Okay, now, maybe your spiritual magisters, relatives, and friends are going to say, well, uh, please, I would really like if you defended me when somebody was criticizing me. No, okay, this is not what's going on. Yeah, if somebody injures our spiritual masters, our relatives, and our friends, so these are probably the three groups of people that we cherish the most, yeah, to prevent anger from arising towards people who injure them. Yeah, and instead see, as we ex uh, explored of some verses ago, that all these situations arise due to multiple conditions. That it's not, we can't pin it on one person's fault, because there's often multiple conditions, cooperative conditions, the afflictions in somebody's mind, uh, karma from previous lives, yeah, the karma of the per us as the recipient, that there's no single one cause that we can blame something on and justify our anger towards, yeah. Even, you know, if it's somebody really telling us off very badly or threatening us, you know, to see that's coming about because of conditions. Yeah. And that person is saying that because of the force of the conditions and the causes behind them. Yeah. And the person really would prefer not to feel like that even if they are feeling anger at that moment and say, I'm justifying and I'm telling you off because it's good and you deserve it, does that person really want to be unhappy? Because anger makes everybody unhappy. 
So even that person is saying all sorts of awful things to us. They're being controlled by their anger, at which is influenced by other causes and conditions. So it's not like the person themselves in a, in a completely sane, uh, clear wisdom mind says, I want to create harm. You know, if that person had that a sane wisdom mind, they wouldn't think like that. But they're thinking irrationally because of the power of the afflictions. Okay? So even people who injure the, the people that we cherish the most recognize that the whole situation comes about due to just a whole bunch of causes and conditions coming together at that very moment. That there's nobody who wishes harm, that there's not one single thing you can point to. Yeah, And this, of course, goes against how we've been raised and how the rest of society thinks, where we point to one person and blame them for everything in a situation. But it, no situation is like that, actually. Okay. Then 66. Since embodied creatures are injured by both animate beings and inanimate objects, why only bear malice to the animate? It follows that I should patiently accept all harm. Okay, so we are injured by animate beings, by other living beings who do things, and we're also injured by inanimate objects. Okay? But, so why do we only get mad at the living beings and we don't get mad at the inanimate objects? Okay? Yeah. If, if you get in a car accident, somebody rear-ends you, okay, do you get mad at their car? Yeah. Do you get mad at their car? Oh, that green Chevrolet, it has such a nasty mind. Look what it did. No, you don't get mad at the car. You get mad at the driver. But it was actually the car that did the cause the damage. Yeah. The driver is as shaken up as you are. It's the car that caused the damage. Why do we get mad at the driver and not at the car? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Yeah. When, when we trip on something, yeah, our mind goes to who put that object there or who didn't put that object away so that it was lying there and I tripped on it. We blame a person even though there's no person around and it was actually an inanimate object that we tripped over. Yeah? Why do we blame a person and not an object? Yeah. If a dog bites you, do you blame the dog's teeth? Oh, those teeth are so sharp. What are they doing being so sharp? They should, you know, file themselves down. Or they, those teeth should keep themselves inside the mouth. 
Yeah. No, we don't blame the dog's teeth. We blame the dog. Okay. So when you think about it, it's really kind of dumb, isn't it? We're misdirecting our our anger towards a living being instead of to the actual object that harmed us. Yeah. So why do we do that? What's going on? Does it make any sense? Does it make any sense to get mad at an inanimate object? Well, I I need to tell you a story just to, you know, maybe play devil's advocate here. Um, So uh, one way I I, uh, got myself through college, uh, because I had a quarrel with my parents, and they said, okay, you can support yourself. I said, okay. So I went out, and I got a job on campus. I got two jobs on campus. Um, Both of them involved marijuana research. Uh, One of them, (laughs) yeah, so there was, yeah, those were the days of lots of marijuana research. And, uh, And so one of them was a... Uh, we got people, we gave them, they came four times. So each time they got something to smoke and something to drink. And then we did these cognitive tests on them. Yeah. So one time, I'm telling you these stories because they're, I think they're interesting. If you find them boring, tell me. But I think it's kind of interesting. So they organized this experiment. So one time you got a joint with real marijuana and you got a placebo um, alcohol drink. The next time, you got a real alcohol drink and a placebo joint. Yeah, And th- these were in different orders, so it wasn't like one, two, three, four, like I'm listing it. They, they were jumbled up. Then one time, uh, you got both a joint and an alcoholic beverage, and the next time, you got placebos with both. Okay? So these... Students signed up. It's a good way to earn some extra money, um, you know, for your own recreational uh, investigation of these topics. And uh, and they would come in, and we would, you know, give these. It was supposed to be bl- double blind, you know. We didn't know. But sometimes we could guess. Um, anyway, we had one machine, yeah, it was a machine that, uh, you know, you get into, and then there were two little knobs, and uh, they were flash things in front, and then according to what you saw, you had to, you know, hit one one thing or the other. And it was to test the speed of your uh, reactions, you know, because they were wondering, you know, does, does smoking grass delay your reactions? What about alcohol? So, okay, so, so we would get people loaded on one thing or another, unless it was a placebo time. And then they'd go into this, this thing, and it was supposed to flash, and, you know, they cl- And sometimes this machine did not work. <laughs> Okay, so this person had spent the whole day, you know, because when they come in, it's not just, I mean, you spend time and they spend time. 
smoking and drinking, and then there's different, you talk to them. I mean, this was our job. You know, we gave them the stuff, and then we amused them and talked to them and, and then put them, you know, gave them all these different cognitive tests. So it was really a bummer when this machine didn't work because it was a whole day that you spent, you know, the author, the person who, the chief researcher, you know, it was really inconvenient for her when this happened. Uh, so, you know, we would try everything to get this machine to work and we couldn't do it. So we tried kicking it and that worked, <laughs> you know. A few times it just stopped working and we kicked, you know, it was in a box. We kicked the box and then it worked. So we took, you know, our frustration out on the inanimate object. Um, yeah, but it, it had a good ending at the end. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't advise doing this uh, very often. But, but it was interesting, you know, because you want to blame somebody when the machine doesn't work properly. But who, who is there to blame? Yeah. It's kind of like when your computer doesn't work properly. Yeah, you want to blame some. I blame the computer. Yeah, I talk to it. You. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I, I'm... My computer, for sure, I'm sure it tries to, to sabotage me. Because when I say to my computer, I'm calling Venerable Jigme, or I'm calling Venerable uh, Rinchen for help, when they come, it works. Seriously. Yeah, it behaves when they come. Uh-oh. I'm saying this, now I'm going to get in trouble when I go back and try and use it this morning. <laughs> it's going to say, you said something nasty about me in Dharma class. I'll show you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's interesting how we search for something to blame when very often there's nobody to blame. And we don't like blaming inanimate objects because that seems really dumb. But, yeah. Okay. So why only bear malice to the animate? It follows I should patiently accept all harm. Okay. So with fortitude to accept all harm. In other words, just this is what is. You know, this is what's happening. There's nobody's fault. Yeah. And even if there is one person who we want to identify as primarily behind it, realize, no, it's not just one person. There's a whole incredibly complex set of causes and conditions that's going on. So just accept the situation. Now, this is important, accepting the situation does not mean you don't do anything about it. Okay, it's a, there's a double negative in that sentence. Okay, so accepting the situation means what is, is. 
It's happened already. It's existing now. What are you going to do? Say it shouldn't have come into being? It's already there. So we have to accept the unpleasant situations that are already there. But accepting them doesn't mean we just say, well, I'm not going to get mad. There's nothing to do. So I'm just going to sit here and uh, come what may. Yeah. Like, okay, there's injustice. Uh, People are getting treated unfairly. Or there's people who are dying of hunger in this world. And I accept that and, you know, too bad. Okay. Acceptance means you accept what exists at this moment. It does not mean you accept a, a, a given situation for the future. Yeah? If something is uh, not being taken care of properly, then you see what you can do to affect the future result. Yeah? Once the conditions have ripened, you got to accept it because it's reality. But you can still work for a better future, and we must work for a better future. We don't become apathetic and just say, well, so what, you know? Okay? And I think this goes for many kinds of things in our life. Um, Some people, okay, we're working on a project, and somebody says, I will call you back on Tuesday and give you such and such an information. And that person doesn't call back on Tuesday. And so some people say, well, okay. And then they wait. And maybe they wait even a week, two weeks, three weeks, before they contact that person and say, "Uh, you know, you were going to call me back and give me some information. Yeah, that's why wait a week, two weeks, or three weeks. If somebody said, I'm going to call you on Tuesday, and they don't, then you call them Wednesday morning. That's not being disrespectful. It's not being rude. It's not pushing. It's just they said they'll call on Tuesday. Maybe they forgot you call on Wednesday. Okay? So what I'm saying is, that this thing of accepting harm doesn't mean we don't try and prevent future harm. That we just sit there and say, hmm, well, okay. We should try and prevent future harm. But the key is to do it without being angry, belligerent, spiteful. Okay? So to take action, but with a respectful, kind mind. Yeah. And sometimes we need to, you know, you can push with a respectful, kind mind. Yeah. And there are certain situations, you know, that we run up against where a little bit of nudging is appropriate. And sometimes it actually needs a lot of nudging. Yeah. And that's appropriate. But we do it without anger. 
at the person. Okay, let's pause here and see if there's questions or comments. I was thinking about when we were you were talking about we don't get angry at uh, inanimate objects, but you know, little kids do. If they trip over a, a, mm-hmm. a toy or something, they kick the toy or they throw it or something. Yeah. So they very much uh, direct their uh, anger to the uh, inanimate. But, you know, I've I've watched and observed, and sometimes parents encourage them to do that. Oh. I've seen, you know, a kid fall and and then they hurt, and then the parent goes up and says. Oh, make bad to this thing. It hurt you. Make bad. Yeah? Any of you have that? Some of you maybe, yes. Some of you know. Yeah? But I've seen parents, you know, that they say, you know, make bad because this hurt you. Uh Other comments, questions? I'm not saying that happens all the time. Yeah. When you commented and um, when you commented and read um, these verses about not getting angry, um, return harm with harm, um, even if uh, pictures of the Buddha or um, the Dharma, the Sangha is injured, um, I immediately went to Tibet. <laughs> what mm-hmm. happened there and the strength of the Tibetan people till today, um, some of them to hold that and to not retaliate, but to keep nonviolence. Mm-hmm. The majority of them are still holding that even so, so much is disturbed. And, um, just recently, um, for example, some days ago, I, um, heard that uh, like a north, uh, in the north of China, Tibet, in Amdo. So now the, um, young monks have to leave the monastery. So actually in old mm-hmm. Tibet, mm, the monks who are below 18, um, they have to go to the national schools, um, mm-hmm. so to learn the communist principles and they have to disrobe. And my immediate action was, how dare they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And mm-hmm. I did not have this thought, okay, um, you know, that's karma maybe ripening and don't, you know, return anger with anger. And the patience that's um, needed for that when you love something so much like the Dharma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It makes me think of Master Shenyan, uh, who was a young monk when... Uh, all the, the battle between the communists and the nationalists occurred in, in China. And he had to become a soldier. Yeah, and he was a soldier for 10 years. And he didn't give back, it sounds like he didn't give back his, his precepts during that time. But, you know, he nevertheless reordained, you know, reinforced his, his ordination afterwards. So he, you know, he saw this is just the the circumstance that we're in, and you know, this is my goal. And so he did it. He wasn't. Uh, he didn't sign up to do the actual fighting. He was in some kind of nonviolent role for intelligence or yeah, something like that. Hmm. If someone refuses to accept a genuine apology and efforts to make amends, but becomes unreasonable, 
how can you how can I reconcile my goodwill towards them with the force they attack with? Mm. You don't have to reconcile it. The important thing is that you own your part of it and you have a wish to restore the relationship or at least calm calm the relationship. How the other person reacts is not your business. And uh, the important thing really is transforming our own mind and getting our own mind to the point where we want to make amends. And sometimes it's very disappointing because you really want to restore the relationship in some form or another, but the other person is not yet ready to do that. They're holding on to their anger. And all you can do then is just say, uh, just give them space and say, you know, I reached out as best as I could. Um, I have a kind attitude. I can't make them accept an apology. I can't make them let go of the anger. That's something they have to do. I, I hope for them that they're able to let go of their anger, you know, because their anger makes them miserable. But it's not something I can force. Yeah. And then that's really, I mean, you just accept that's the way it is. But you keep the door open so that later, and sometimes it's years later, you meet the person and they uh, apologize. And at that, they apologize to you. And at that time, you can accept it. You know, they apologize to you for not accepting your apology years ago. Yeah, but you accept it. Yeah. Anything else? Okay, then we'll dedicate. <laughs> <laughs>